wise, faithful, and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to another segment of Verse of the Day. And today's verse comes from John 14, 5 through 7. And it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So to give a little background to what is happening in this passage, we need to back up to John 14, 1 through 4, which says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My, in my, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. You may know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus' statement that they knew the way perplexed Thomas. Jesus responded to Thomas's question with his sixth I am statement. Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. His words strike a note of exclusivity. Jesus is the only way to the Father, and no one can know God except through him. In fact, it is for this reason that the early church was called the way. Jesus is the only way to God because ultimate truth resides in him. Jesus taught the truth, he lived the truth, and revealed the one true God. Furthermore, Jesus is the life. Life has been associated with Jesus throughout the Gospels. And to truly know Jesus is to have eternal life. And finally, to know Jesus is to know God the Father. In today's Bible readings, I got just 4 through 5, Luke 22, 35 through 53, Psalm 94, 1 through 23, and Proverbs 14, 3 through 4. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. We are now going to move into day 115 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. And that segment is going to be focusing on Psalm 94, which says, The Lord is a God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth, rise up, judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked 
how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words, all the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say the Lord does not see me. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind like knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble, till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would have soon dwelt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Can a, can a corrupt throne be allied with you? A throne that brings on misery by its decrees. The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. So in order to better understand what this psalm is talking about, we are going to break it down into six sections of between three and four verses per section. And the first section is going to be verses one through three, which says, The Lord is a God who avenges. Oh, God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. <clears throat> how long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? So this song is a community lament with undertones of wisdom literature. So the psalmist complains of radical injustice among the powerful, and he implores God to act. This lament appears mysteriously in a series of psalms celebrating God's sovereignty that would be Psalms 93 through 100. So in this position, Psalm 94 implies that while God already reigns, his reign is not yet consummated. The psalmist begins by calling God an avenger. He wants God to act suddenly in judgment, <coughs> as he did when he caused a sinkhole to swallow Dathan and Abram. It's found in Numbers 16, 31-33, by the way. The psalmist feels that God is being passive, so he prays that God would rise up 
and dole out appropriate retribution. The oppressed cannot wait any longer before they ask how long. And so the next section we're going to look at is verses 4 through 7 which say they pour out arrogant words while the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. <clears throat> they say the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. So the psalmist is now reporting is sent a set of heinous crimes in an effort to provoke God's judgment. So we should note those doing the damage have power and influence and they are boasting about their exploits. They're boasting about their exploits. So the oppressed are God's own possession, his beloved inheritance. So it would seem right that he should take interest in their Alex allegations, excuse me. <clears throat> the evildoers are utterly ruthless. They murder helpless people from the three social classes that were to receive or that are to receive the most protection under Israelite law. And that still applies to us today, by the way. And those three social classes are widows, immigrants, and vulnerable children. Sometimes you'll hear them referred to as orphans or fatherless children. And so the perpetrators of these crimes assume that God does not care, that he does not see, and that or that he does not exist. And to make matters even worse, the wicked in this psalm are not foreigners, as evidenced by their referring to God as the Lord and the God of Jacob. Rather, they are unethical Israelites in positions of power. And so the next section we're going to take a look at is going to be verses 8 through 11 which says, take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. So the presumption by these powerful Israelites is dangerously naive. And it is dangerously naive for us to make this, these same uh, presumptions. <clears throat> so in language regarding that of the Proverbs, so notice the keyword there was, you fools. So that's the language of the Proverbs. Right. So he calls these fools because they have abandoned God's covenant and chosen their own way. He then bombards them with questions to expose their irrational thinking. So he starts off by saying, God designed eyes and ears. So surely he can see him here. So that would be, does he who fashioned the ear not hear, does he who formed the eye not see that? Verse 9. And then goes on to say, God 
And so then goes on to say, God punishes the nation, so he will certainly punish the fine individuals. He has given the world his law, so he certainly has sufficient knowledge. So this verse 10, which says, Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind like knowledge? I mean, God is patient, but he's also omniscient and just. He is watching, and he is not pleased. Power-hungry people may scheme and bludgeon their way up the trail. But God is always waiting at the top of the mountain. And the next section is verses 12 through 15, which says, Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord, the one you teach from your law. You grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness. And all the upright in heart will follow it. So rather than presuming that God is distant, wise people welcome his teaching and his discipline. Those who know him rest even in the dark times because they trust that God will right all wrongs in the end. When he does, he will rescue his people because he made a covenant, a covenant with them. And we as God's people are like a priceless inheritance to him. And society will be stable once again because the judges and courts will follow God's law instead of the greedy plots of the most malicious in the land. And so the next section, the next to the last section, is verses 16 through 19, which say, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I, soon, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, you, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. <clears throat> so the psalmist is confident that God will make things, make all, make all things right in the end. But in the meantime, this is the key point, in the meantime, Corruption is, unfortunately, the norm. Which means that even though that we live in a world that is full of corruption, and that will not ever change until God makes everything right in the end. <clears throat> so the psalmist recalls as we should a time when he needed an advocate, a legal defender, an encourager, or perhaps even physical protection. His time was short, his strength was sapped, his defenses were weak, and his resources had run low. Just as ours do when we face the corruption that this world has and will have until the time everything is made right. But once again, God kept his covenant promises to support and help him, just as God will keep his covenant promise to support and help us. <clears throat> so 
even though powerful people have preferred the justice system. The song was just as we should found tempor found temporary peace in knowing that God is still near and on his side. And now we come to the last section. <clears throat> 23, which says, Can a corrupt throne be allied with you? A throne that brings on misery by its decrees. The wicked band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress. And my God the rock in whom I take refuge. And my God the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. So until now, the psalmist has not specified the oppressor's social status or their precise society. But he now reveals, he now reveals this key important part of who these oppressors are. He now reveals that the corruption has reached all the way to the top leadership in the land that Israel has reached all the way to the kings, to the rulers of the land of Egypt, or Israel, excuse me, just as it has reached all the way to the top of the people that rule in our day and our time. So the kings of Israel are meant to represent God, just as our leaders are meant to represent God. Their decrees and policies were meant to align with God's law, just as our leaders rules and policies are meant to align with God's law. Each king was required to write his own copy of the law so that he would implement everything it taught. That's Deuteronomy 17, 18-20. That's not necessarily the case with our leaders, <coughs> but those that are good leaders in our world, or those that have been remembered as good leaders, have made it a habit of studying and knowing God's word. But Israel's kings often strayed from God's law, as we see in the, <coughs> in the two books of Kings, this first and second Kings, because many of their compromises were reflected in their laws. The scales of justice grew lopsided. Unjust rules created un unfair advantages, <coughs> and the greedy and power-hungry took full advantage of this situation, and unfortunately the same thing holds true today, and it will hold true until God comes and makes everything right. Understand that. Keep that in mind. So, the compromises that our leaders make tip the scales of justice to one side or to another side. <coughs> they create unfair advantage that those who are greedy, those who aren't looking out for themselves, those who are not looking out for the widows, for the immigrants, and for the orphans in our society, will create so that they can have an unfair advantage. Still, the psalmist refused to take part in the corrupt system or leverage bad laws to his advantage, and we ought to do the exact same thing. We are not to take advantage of unfair laws. We are not to leverage bad laws to his advantage. We are not to take part in this corrupt system 
of oppressing those that we are supposed to be helping to lift up out of the mire. Instead, instead the world says we need to push them down to the mire so that we can come up to the mud. <coughs> so even when the psalmist suffered for staying faithful and standing for the weak, and trusted that God would protect him and provide for him, until God judges the wicked in the land. So we've already talked a little bit about how this applies to us. And now, now to answer the burning question that you have had this whole time is how does this ultimately apply to me other than the fact that we're not supposed to take part in a corrupt system other than the fact that we have to look out for those that cannot look out for themselves in our society. And how does this apply to me today? So in the New Testament, Peter teaches us as followers of Christ, we should live, how we should live in this corrupt and wicked world. So we are to expect suffering for what we believe in. Right? That's, that was true in the Old Testament times, it was true in New Testament times, and it's true today. So we are to deny our sinful nature. That means we're to deny, that means we're so to not so much, we're not to ignore, because if we ignore it, it only gets stronger, stronger, stronger. But we are to deny it. We are to not give in to it. We're not to give in to the desire to put down those to be oppressors in our society. We are to be liberators in our society. That's what it means to deny our sinful nature. We are to keep doing good, thus following Jesus' example. That means we're to help the fatherless, we're to help the widow, we're to help immigrants, we're to help all those of us looking for our help. Because you see, when we help them, we become liberators and not oppressors. And we are to know that God will surely come to judge. That means one day God's going to come and judge this earth. He's going to come and judge this world for all the bad things that have taken place. And when he judges that world, he's going to make a whole new world at the end of that. <coughs> and that is the reason we, unlike the wicked and the corrupt, have a future hope, whose name, by the way, is Jesus. And in this dark and corrupt world that we live in, we must cling to that hope above all else, that one day, all of the bad things that we see happening, they may not end in our day, we can do our part in them, but they will never ever completely come to end. But one day, they will come to end. And that is the hope that we have. That is the hope that the psalmist knew in Psalm 94. That's the hope that we can get from this passage. That's the hope we can get from the Bible. That's the hope that Jesus offers to us. In tomorrow's Bible readings are Judges 6, 24-23-12, Psalm 95, 1-96-13, in Proverbs 14, 5 through 6.